and the brave new world begins. When all men are paid for existing, and no man must pay for his sins, as surely as water will wet us, as surely as fire will burn, the gods of the copybook headings with terror and slaughter return. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Copybook Headings Podcast. I am your host, Patrick. Uh, this episode, we have a pretty interesting an interesting one because this is the first time that we've brought on another guest. So in addition to Andrew, we've also uh, brought on um, Tanner Guzzi. Tanner, how are you doing? How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Yeah, we're excited too. And we're, we're excited to have you on as our, as our first guest. So um, the uh, we ha- for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, the first episode, what we do is we break down a, a different proverb each each week. This uh, episode, this uh, show is inspired by the by the by the poem by Rudyard Kipling, uh, the gods of the copybook headings. And uh, so this this week we brought on Tanner. Uh, Tanner, I'll let you t- tell you a little bit about yourself here to here in a second. Um, but uh, the, the the proverb we're going to be going over today is uh, the clothes make the man. And I think Tanner's got a little little expertise in that area, don't you, Tanner? A little bit, about 10, 10 plus years worth. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about, uh, about who you are, where you, what you do and absolutely. Great. Yeah. So I will admit, and I've said this on other shows before I have, you guys, I have a weird job. Like it really, <laughs> I don't know of anybody else who does what I do. Essentially what I do is I teach men to think about clothing as another tool of communication. It's almost like teaching you another way to learn how to read and write, but you're doing it through a visual language, through your clothing, your grooming, all of that, as opposed to just like written and spoken language. And so I coach guys on how to think about how they use their clothing to communicate. It's very different than a stylist who just kind of like gives you things to wear and tells you what's on trend or what's off. I think the closest way that you could compare it would be almost like appearance psychology because we dive real deep into who you are and how you fit into the world and how we can use your appearance to either communicate that to other people or reinforce that back onto yourself so that you get a good understanding of, of what your identity actually is and what it's rooted in and your clothing and your, your grooming should all be a supplement to that. So it's really fun. I, uh, I get to work with guys in ways that nobody else does. And I get to help men understand themselves and have a whole different set of tools from what they've had before. And it's uh, it's really fun and really satisfying for me to get to do it. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned it as another form of communication. I mean, we know that a lot of our communication is nonverbal and how you mm-hmm. present yourself is certainly one of those. So it'd be interesting to kind of dive into that a little bit with you today and figure out what are you, what, 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 what are you communicating with your, and how, and uh, maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's indifferent and we can figure that out. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Um, so are you, I'm sure you're familiar with the saying, right? That the, the clothes make the man. Uh, what, what do you think of it just off the top of your head? So I love it because it's, it's multi-layered um, and there's ways that you can interpret it that may be incomplete or incorrect. And there's ways that you can, ter- can interpret it that bring it all the way fully around. Um, but I love that it's a succinct way of saying that how we are on the outside impacts who we are on the inside. And that mm-hmm. those two, the internal self and the external self are inseparable because so many of us like to think that we can separate those two when really we can't. And so we're much better learning how to be able to use them synergistically than trying to figure out how to use one at the expense of the other. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I'd like to kind of loop Andrew in here. You're the, you're our classically educated uh, uh, guy here, Andrew, uh, doing a little research on this one. What, what, did, what did you find anything out that was interesting? Yeah. There's, there's a fair amount that's interesting on this one. Yeah. It, um, 
kind of goes back uh, in this form to Erasmus, and he had he said it in Latin. He he wrote in Latin, um, "Westus virum facit," would be the uh, would be the Latin there, you know, and literally just. I know my new banner name. for my website. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, and it's it's interesting, you know. I mean, a little uh, a little to get a little nerdy here. Virum weir meaning the word that he chose for man here, different from from like where we have homo from homo sapiens, right? Mm-hmm. This is specifically male, you know, male men. Mm-hmm. This is where we get virtue. This is where we get virility, the roots for that word. Uh, those oh, words. interesting. Oh. So not like the capital M man, like mankind, but very specifically no. like male version of man. And so it's distinct exactly. between men versus women. That's, that's exactly interesting. And he's, and he's reflecting back. He's calling, calling back to um, a Roman author named Quintilian um, who in turn was referring back to Homer. So this goes back to, to Homeric citations, you know, about, you know, like you think of, think of the Odyssey, you think of Odysseus, how, how he was perceived based on his appearance, right? When he goes back home, he's disguised as, as an old beggar that everyone just, you know, kicks to the curb. And then he reveals himself to be mm-hmm. the king um, and, and to be, kind of godly in appearance. Um, so yeah, so it goes back pretty far. Um, and of course there's, there's a great Mark Twain version on it, it, which is clothes make the man naked people have little or no influence on society. (laughs) In perfect Twain fashion to add a little humor to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, uh, Tanner, I've read your book. Um, learned a little bit about the the archetypes and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Maybe you could kind of tell us a little bit about um, about those archetypes because that seems like it goes along with some of those those uh, well ar- archetypes are are timeless in, in a way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So let me let me tee this up the right way because um, archetypes they really are timeless and it's a good framework to start from, but it's also not something that you want to get totally pigeonholed into, right? It's mm-hmm. a it's a good baseline and something to build out from from there. And the reason that I wrote about it this way is there's a tendency within most of Western culture today to think about clothing and particularly the ideas of like style or fashion to be something that is externally created by fashion magazines or by influencer culture or by Hollywood or anything else. And then we as consumers come and buy an identity. And within the last 40 years, there's been a lot of justifiably a lot of resentment of that particular paradigm. You know, this is where you get like the quote from Fight Club that you're not your khakis and all of this type of stuff. And and really the the relationship with clothing is not that way. It shouldn't be somebody else creates it and then you adopt it as a method of creating your own identity because then you are just, your identity is that of a consumer. It should be the opposite where you start with a solid understanding of who you are and how you interact with the world and then you adopt clothing to help you communicate that to others or to help you reinforce it to yourself. And so the idea of the archetypes came about as a way to get the most basic kind of broadly scripted, uh, culturally and historically universal application of this. So you can start to understand who you are on the inside and then start to figure out how your clothing should reflect that. And so I've broken it down into three. It's really easy to remember. It's three R's. You've got rugged, refined, and rakish. And the way that these break down is rugged men are those who 
are at their best when they're engaging with the physical world. They're using their hands, they're altering their space, they're they're getting things done physically. And so this may be blue collar workers, cowboys, lumberjacks, um, warriors, athletes, people who engage in that kind in that kind of world, and that's when they're at their best. There's clothing that has certain aesthetic qualities to it that reflect that. And these men feel at their best when they're wearing clothing that feels like it actually reflects that version of themselves. Okay, so you can start with that. The second one is refined. These are the men who they're at their best when they're functioning within civilization. They understand social norms, they understand hierarchy, they understand rules of civilization, and they understand how to use those in order to be able to climb to the top of that hierarchy or climb wherever it is to whatever level it is that they're comfortable. And so these are the guys who are the 1%, the politicians, the, you know, like the big tycoons. And these are the guys who clothing can reflect that. And it's very different. You know, you think about like, old Roman clothing and what was refined at that time versus what was refined during the time of like the founding fathers of the United States versus the time of what's refined. Now, the principles may be the same. It's dignity, status, wealth, connectivity, all of these things, but the clothing in and of itself is going to be executed very differently. Sure. But again, it's the same premise of how do I communicate these things? And then the third one is rakish. And these are the guys who they understand the hierarchy and the rules just as well as the refined guys. But rather than thriving by following the rules and fitting within the hierarchy, they're at their best by being outsiders, by being iconoclasts, by being rebels and by rejecting all of it. And so this is where you get, you know, motorcycle gangs or pirates or rock stars or all of these others that, you know, they really thrive on being that way. And there are certain types of clothing that will reflect that within a given context or a different sphere as well. And so we all have elements of all three of those within us. But we all also have one that's going to be our primary and our dominant one. And that's a really good place to start thinking about what should my clothing actually look like? What should it start reflecting about me to other people and back to myself so that you not only start dressing better, but you also still feel like your best authentic self and what you're dressing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And you have a, like, like you have a quiz on your website, I think where people can I do yep. <laughs> can, can figure out a like, simple eight question quiz you can go check out and it'll give you a good idea of what your primary one yeah. is. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mentioned your book, your book is called, uh, the appearance of power, correct. Um, and, correct. uh, can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Cause I, 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 I was drawn to the title because right, when you talk about men's fashion, sometimes you can get your initial impression is maybe it's a little girly. Maybe it's a little like, Oh, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the, the title of your book because it was like, no, 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 we're not trying to look, you know, like a fancy lad here. We're trying to like project something important. Right. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. And that's where if you zoom out historically or culturally outside of like the West in the 20th century, it's very easy to see that men have always cared about their appearance. Go tell a samurai that he's effeminate for caring about how his armor looked. Or go tell some warrior that lives on a Pacific island that's wearing a necklace made out of the ears of the foes that he's conquered that he's effeminate for caring about that and that he makes it a point to like wear that when he goes into battle. Like it's a ridiculous notion to think that a concern for one's appearance is inherently unmanly, unmasculine, effeminate, whatever other pejorative you want to add to it, depending on where you grew up or whatever else. It's historically illiterate to look at it that way. And so I wanted to be able to express this idea and help men understand that we're, we're leaving so many opportunities on the table. We're leaving so many tools in our toolbox by just completely rejecting the idea that our clothing and our grooming matter 
and that there's so much more, we can be so much more effective by learning how to use this as a tool of communication, just like we've learned how to read and write, just like we've learned how to speak. And I mean, imagine if we grew up in a culture that told you that you were effeminate or gay or whatever else for learning how to read and write. And real red-blooded masculine men don't have to, they don't have to write and they don't have to make these silly little markings with their pens or they don't have to type on a computer. And think about how much you would be missing out on, how much of your own self-development, how much your own understanding, how much of your ability to impact the world around you, your ability to provide for your family. You would be so handicapped by not having that simple tool of literacy. And sadly, so many men embrace that aesthetic illiteracy instead of realizing that that's a big tool that can really be used to your advantage and the advantage of the people you care about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, how did you come to this kind of philosophy or approach to, to style and fashion? You know, you mentioned at the beginning when you're introducing yourself, you know, that it's, that that's, you know, normally it's, it's all about trends. It's about what's, you know, what's hot this year. Like you personally, how did you, how did you come to this approach? That's a fun question. Um, I would say part of it is that I've always been like hypersensitive to appearance. Uh, I went to a private school when I was in junior high, like rep stripe tie, Navy blazer, all of that type, uh, that stuff. And at the same time, I was really involved in like the punk rock and BMX scenes. And so I wanted green Liberty spikes and bondage pants and a battle jacket and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I learned very early on that not only did other people treat me differently based on how they saw me look, how they saw me dress in different contexts, but my own sense of self was very much that way. Um, I felt more like myself in the punk clothes than I did in the uniform or vice versa in different contexts. And so I was kind of always aware of it early on, but I started really thinking about it more in the philosophical context. Um, I would say that there's two, two kind of catalysts for that. The first one is I had discovered, uh, what you could largely call kind of like the manosphere, you know, this whole like online world of men being interested in whether it's pickup or fitness or self-development or anything else. And I found this back in 2009 when I was in the middle of uh, a pretty nasty divorce and trying to figure out like where I had gone wrong and what are the things that I could work on and that I could heal. And as I'm reading these guys talking about these things, I'm starting to recognize that clothing can be an appropriate tool within these different contexts. And then in addition to that, a few years later, I worked in custom suiting and I always found it really interesting that a lot of people in different style spaces, like a lot of guys who are in suiting will say that anybody who doesn't wear a suit is inherently unstylish and they look like a child or they look like a bum. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, I don't know. I see guys doing streetwear that look really, really cool. Or I can see guys that are doing their fitness game in the gym that look really, really cool too. And so I started to want to zoom out and understand like, what seems like random data plots, what are the actual connecting lines here that make it so somebody does look good and feel authentic, whether they're rolling in BJJ or they're doing bodybuilding versus powerlifting or they're, they're wearing a suit, but they're wearing a suit and so it looks like they're doing it because they want to rather than because they have to or they're really up on the latest trend with sneakers or whatever it may be. Like There's a consistent through line there that nobody else was talking about and because that's just kind of a tendency of mine. Anyway, it was really fun to attack that from a, a hobby that I was interested in that was style. And so it really just kind of happened organically. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you always notice the guy, like, like you mentioned, like you'll be lifting at the gym and you'll notice the guy that just looks sharp. You, you know, you're in your, you're in mm -hmm. your gym clothes, whatever. And everyone kind of looks the same. And then one guy's like, how does he look so good? He's just in gym clothes like the rest of us, but something about him, he's just got it, you know, dialed in. 
Um, so yeah, yep. I 100% agree in, in any space that you are, you can have appropriate clothing for that space, but you can do it well, or you can do it not so well. Um, maybe you could talk about, about the power aspect of it and how, you know, what, what is it, uh, what, what does it do for us to, 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 when we start paying attention to our style, if we haven't been before, um, what, I mean, are there tangible benefits you can see? What, what, what could it do for your life? Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple different ways that we can look at this. And if you think about from, I don't know how much you guys have spent on like learning about, you know, marketing and building brands and all that stuff. But most of the time when guys are coaching or talking about this stuff, they talk about like the three big spheres that you want to hit on, which is health, wealth, and relationships, right? And so most of the time you're targeting one of those three spheres. And the reality is, is that when it comes to your parents, it can greatly benefit all three of mm -hmm. those, you know, with your relationships, it, whether you're dating and you're trying to attract somebody that you're interested in, or you're married and you're trying to like maintain that attraction or even with kids you're trying to set the set the precedent of like adulthood is still a, a realm of dignity and it's not that you just coast for the rest of your life and like for me and my dad wasn't so much this way but a lot of my friends dads they made fatherhood and adulthood look incredibly unappealing because they got out of shape they had no sense of self their wives snagged them their kids didn't respect them they just wanted they just got through work and then just kind of like were blobs and it's like why would i why would I give up my fun life to go do something like that? Whereas if they still had hobbies, they still like flirted with their wives, they still dress like they had a semblance of self-respect, like that would start to change things. And so massive impact on your relationships. Uh, it's really easy to understand the psychological aspects of things like the halo effect, where if people see something that's good about you, then they will be more forgiving about other things that you're failing on and how that can lead to more sales that are closed or better customer service or whatever industry you're in, if you can signal more credibility, authority, self-respect, mastery, then you're going to make more money. You're going to have better relationships with your business partners or your employees, your customers or whatever else. And then even with your health, you know, you can think about if you were to go to the gym today and you were to have to lift in a tuxedo, how miserable that experience would be and how much harder it would be to talk yourself into going to the gym tomorrow if you had to go back and do it in those same clothes. Whereas if you can wear something in the gym or on the ball court or on the mat that reinforces that you're there and helps you be more present when you're there, then you do actually see better results. Or maybe you've got 50 pounds to lose and you lose 20 of them and you see yourself in the mirror without your clothes on and you look different, but you see yourself in the mirror with your clothes on and you don't look any different. So then you go buy new clothes that actually fit better. And now all the time you're seeing that you've actually made this progress. So it reinforces that you're making the changes and it makes it easier to continue to build off of that momentum. And so there's so many benefits. And so far we've just talked about how it benefits the way that other people see you, let alone the fact that you feel like you have more of a sense of integrity because when you're on a Zoom call or you post something on social media or you see the family photos, you actually see on the outside who you are on the inside. And it feels like there's some consistency and some congruency there. And so you feel more honest, you feel more authentic and congruent and what that does for your confidence and how it helps you interact with other people. Like there's really no downsides to getting this stuff dialed in. It just, it affects your life in so many positive ways. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, and, and, uh, I, you know, when I first found, found you and a couple other guys, style guys, I started just changing a few simple things. I mean, it didn't even really cost that much money or really that much mm -hmm. effort to just make a few tweaks and uh, right away start feeling a little bit different. So, um, yep. you know, I, I, I've had a little bit of that experience as, as well. So I, uh, I, I, I think, I think that that's definitely true.
Um, one kind of aspect I wanted to talk about and see, get your opinion on was kind of the cultural shift that we've seen lately with, you know, I, just like this acceptance of, for lack of a better term, ugliness. You have some people that are mm-hmm. just kind of just leaning yeah. into, you know, they don't feel like they're very attractive or they don't feel like this and that and the other. So rather than making an attempt to get that direction, they just go full off on the other direction. And just, it, it, it appears to me like they're intentionally trying to embrace ugliness. Uh, have you noticed yeah. anything like that or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that we're, we're probably right at the time where we're going to see a pretty strong polarization because I would say most of mainstream culture has really done that. And you can even look at it more from a philosophical perspective of, We've moved from a dignity culture, which is what the West was largely during like the 18th, 19th, even the first half of the 20th century. And then within our lifetimes, we've moved to a victim culture. And those that are the biggest victims, those who are the most suppressed, those who are, you know, the lowest on the, the old food chain are now the highest in the current food chain. And so where beauty was something that was valued by both honor and dignity cultures, beauty is a sin within a victim culture, right? And so you see, and not only that, but it's like beauty, beauty used to be something that was relatively natural, normal, and easy. It's almost heartbreaking to go back and look at photos of the average person from like the 1920s or even like, what is it? Daguerreotypes from like the late 19th century. And people are in great shape and their jawlines are strong and solid and their skin is clear and their hair, even if it's receding, that looks like there's still like a natural shine to it because they were moving and living in their bodies and their food wasn't completely corrupted. And now in order to get to the point where you look good, you have to put in so much effort than what you used to. And so it's a whole lot easier to just say, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to, you know, just forget it. But thankfully we're starting to see enough of a backlash. I mean, I think this is what gym culture is where it's like, yeah, it's really easy to not get into shape, but I, I miss out on all these physical, mental, social, spiritual, emotional benefits by not utilizing my body to the best that it can be utilized. And I'm seeing more and more of an embrace of beauty being inherently moral unto itself. There's, there's value in beauty. There's be, there's value in beauty in nature. There's value in beauty in architecture, in the way that, that, that towns are laid out in the way that we look in the way that music sounds, in the way that our food tastes like beauty is inherently valuable unto itself. And thankfully we're seeing a counterculture that's not just sticking to that in their one niche of like, fitness or cars or food, but you're seeing it kind of embraced in everything. And so it's fun to see that backlash. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I hope you're right with that backlash. And I, I do uh, kind of see uh, some signs of that. I, I remember growing up, you know, you'd see the cover magazine covers, right. Of these uh, magazines, mm-hmm. you know, aimed at women or whatever. And there'd be this sexy woman on the front or whatever. And usually, you know, we, from a, me, from a, religious Christian perspective. I was like, well, that's, that's, you know, kind of inappropriate. It's probably kind of, kind of lewd. And yeah. now, now we've gone to something even completely different, you know? And I'm like, you know, this isn't any better where it's like just some grotesque, you know, <laughs> like, right. like it, try to intentionally be as unattractive and unappealing as possible. It was lustful, but at least it was honest. Right. <laughs> now what we're being fed is lies and we have to, we have to participate in the lie. Otherwise we're bad people for not doing it. If I don't say that is beautiful, then I'm morally flawed within this culture. And it's like, okay, fine. Then I'm morally flawed because my right. integrity won't let me say that that's beautiful when it's ugly. So I guess I'm, I guess I'm a bad guy in your world, but I'll embrace that. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and uh, it, it used to be, you know, kind of, I think, normal to understand basic human hierarchies mm-hmm. and that some people are at the top and some people are at the bottom. And that's been like, that's like a cr- crazy sin now, right? And to it has nothing insinuate. to do with, with value, right? Somebody, yeah. somebody who is a manager at a local bank and like that's the highest that they aspire to when it comes to their career is not inherently worth more or less than somebody who's the CEO of a major company or somebody who is, I don't know, the owner of a family business or a kid who's just starting his first part-time job, but he does fit in the hierarchy somewhere differently. And so we we mm. conflate hierarchical position with inherent human value, and it's it's just a cluster with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's been happened with uh, appearance. And like you said, uh, amount of money people make IQ as well. They try to make it so that someone who's smarter is, is better. That means that Mm -hmm. everyone has to be smart and no one has to be, you know, lower below average intelligence. That's just not how it works. Right. And sadly that means everybody has to be dumb. Not that everybody has to be smart (laughs) because you can't bring the bottom up. You have to bring the top down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Andrew, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I did have a question. I, I've been thinking, um, you know, our, our listeners can't see, but behind Tanner's a, a great poster of, of the cover of his book. And uh, I'm thinking about, you know, in the past, it's easy to recognize those displays of power in in clothing and, and stuff. You know, you've got to the Roman example, you've got the, the togas you've got, and then you've got the armor. Um, you know, the, the toga being the politician's wardrobe, the, the armor being the the military wardrobe and usually those were the same people wearing those just on different occasions you know and and today in our society we've got we've got the suit is the 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 politician's wardrobe well traditionally it's it's uh, been changing the past past few years in, in interesting ways um, and then you know you still have like the physical power display of, of the military uniform where do you think um, the more casual things, uh, the, the casual cultures fit into this. I'm thinking, you know, the tech CEO hoodie and, and t-shirt. Um, cause it's not like these are, uh, we might, we might think it's kind of a schlubby look, but they're not picking these up off the rack at Walmart. They're still $500 t-shirts. So what's, what's going on here? What's going on with the, the casual look, the work from home stuff? What do you think? It's still a very intentional flex on the part of these guys. And what it is essentially that they're saying is I am so successful that I can intentionally handicap myself with my appearance and I'm still going to be more successful. That the guys who wear suits are the guys who work for me and I'm the one who pays their salaries and I don't need to do any of that because I have climbed up to this certain point in the mountain. And then I and then you see that start to trickle down and you see it become an entire culture and subculture within the mm-hmm. tech space in and of itself. Because I guarantee you, you know, being I'm based out of Utah and there's a big tech hub that's out here. And if I were to go in to meet with any of the C-suite in any of these places, or if I were to go in for a job interview for any of these positions and I were to walk into a suit or walk in wearing a suit, the only thing that I would be communicating is that I'm a complete outsider that does not understand this world or this culture at all. And so it's become the uniform of a complete subculture unto itself. Hmm. All right. Um, what, what is, I guess, uh, with the conventional wisdom of, you know, dress for the job you want, where does that, where does that play in with, uh, when, when you've got extreme ends of, of the bell curve of, 
wearing the same things, right? And you get the the idiots. It's a tricky in the question, here. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it's hard because you can even think about it, not necessarily from just the job perspective, but from like a culture perspective in general, because throughout most of history, I would say there were monocultures and it may be that, you know, France was very different than Italy, which was very different from Germany, but at least within France, there was a culture or within Italy, there was a culture. And you think about most of the West, especially like 20th century, 19th century, we had kind of a monoculture. It didn't matter if you were a blue collar worker or white collar, if you were black or white, if you were on the East Coast or the West Coast, like if you wanted to be taken seriously as a man, you would wear a suit and you would wear a suit in the appropriate environment. We don't have a monoculture anymore. The internet broke that. We are balkanized into dozens and hundreds of subcultures. And so you will have status signals that are very, very acute and very, very specific, but they only exist within these, within these subcultures. And you can take the gym as a good example of this, where it's like bodybuilders dress different than CrossFitters who dress different than powerlifters who mm -hmm. dress different than boxers who dress different than triathletes. And to somebody who's never paid attention to their fitness at all, they're probably thinking, this is stupid. I just want to be able to wear an old t-shirt and a pair of nylon basketball shorts. But when you're in those particular tribes, you recognize that there's both a functional and a communicative difference between all of those clothes. And it helps you understand where you fit within the hierarchies of those different tribes. And so you can see it within different industries. You could see it within different political subcultures, different hobbies, different musical tastes, different religions. We now are kind of balkanized into these subcultures. And so rather than being able to navigate it really easily, we have to figure out how to combine all of it and make it work within these different subcultures that we belong to. Hmm. That's daunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's navigable, but that's why I have a job, right? If, yeah, yeah. if it were the 20th century, you'd be like, here's a suit, go buy a suit. Like you don't need to pay me. This is why I have a job is it is daunting, but I, it is navigable and I help you guys figure out how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what is typically your, your initial advice for, for someone trying to get a little bit, just kind of getting started and trying to make their style a little bit better? Wear the same thing that you're currently wearing, but just do it better. And I'll explain what that means. But most of the time, what guys think is like, okay, I'm at a t-shirt and jeans level. And so I need to be wearing a polo and jeans or like a button up and some khakis, or I'm at a button up and khakis level and I need to go to a suit. Again, that's 20th century model of the more formal you are, the more dignified you are, the higher you are in the hierarchy, but that's not the world that we live in anymore. And so if you exist in a world of t-shirt, jeans, and sneakers, stick with that, but do it better. And better means make sure it actually fits the way that it's supposed to. Make sure that your t-shirt for the most part is solid and it doesn't look like the main thing about you is this ironic joke or this niche video game or this brand that you consume. And so you don't actually have an identity. You're just a billboard for some other hobby that you're a part of, right? Mm. Or like buy higher quality versions of things and make sure that the material is thicker and it flows better. Like you can still do really, really good style in jeans, a t-shirt and a pair of sneakers. But it's kind of like Patrick, what you were just saying where you see that one guy in the gym who looks better than everybody else. And it's not because he's wearing more formal stuff. It's that it fits him better. The material is better. The construction is better. And it looks more intentional on him than the other guys who look like they just didn't put any effort into it whatsoever. Sure. Sure. So whatever style you have now, uh, just try to improve it uh, while staying within the same. Don't try to jump up to a new formal right. level that's going to make you uncomfortable probably. Right? right. And you can, you need to like expansion is part of it, mm -hmm. but if you're starting 
don't start with expansion. Just start with improvement of where you currently are. Yeah, I mentioned when I first started started this journey and came across you several years ago, I um, I just just a few small things of like throwing out the graphic tees for like a simple Henley mm-hmm. made a big difference, I think. And then right? you can go go the sky's the limit from there. But that that one that one change I think made a big difference in my life. Yep, it's huge. Yeah, cool. Tanner, one thing we like to do on this show is, you know, we 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 take the proverb, which you know is the the god of the copybook heading, right? This is the ancient wisdom. Um, but the inverse of that is the god of the marketplace mm-hmm. that um, kind of inverts or corrupts what what is this, you know, ageless wisdom. So what do you think, you know, societally right now, is there a push against the idea that the clothes make the man? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a lot of antipathy for this idea. You will get, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, you will get... Uh, the idea that uh, who you are on the inside is and who you are on the inside does matter more than who you are on the outside, but they're not mutually exclusive. And mm-hmm. for a lot of guys, a, a lot of men, especially in the West, you will get this idea of real men don't care how they look, that any sort of concern for appearance is inherently unmasculine and is a threat to your being a man. And ironically, they do it to the extent that they go out of their way to look like they don't care how they look. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause if they really didn't care, you'd raid your wife's closet and just wear what she wears because her dresses are way more comfortable than your cargo shorts and your graphic t-shirt, or you would wear a Snuggie or you would wear trash bags or you would wear a gorilla suit, whatever else it may be. And so there is a lot of antipathy for this idea that clothing does affect who we are as far as our own self-perception and that it affects the way that other people react and interact with us. And it's a resentment of it to the point where you're almost like covering your ears and saying, no, 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 no. Like I'm not going to listen. And yeah. it's about as effective as doing that as well. Like just because you, you stop listening doesn't mean that there's not actually any real impact to what's going on around you because people do still judge a book by the cover and it's our job to make sure that the the book that they're judging, like that the cover actually reflects what the book is. Because otherwise I'm starting at a deficit, I'm starting in negative. If I present myself a certain way and it's inconsistent with who I really am, I've hamstringed myself before the interactions even started. And why would I go into any sort of relationship with that? Especially thinking that that makes me more moral that I've done that rather than the guy who put a little bit of time a little bit of effort into making sure that there is some consistency between the internal and the external. Yeah. Well, it it may be technically correct that, you know, the book, the cover doesn't always reflect the book, but as a publisher, you'd be foolish to not pay attention to what goes on the cover of your book, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're not going to sell any books if you have a terrible cover. Nope. Nope. There's a lot of money and a lot of effort that goes into books. Yeah. And goes into their covers. Yep. So one pushback I hear sometimes with men in their style is, is comfort, right? Oh, I just mm-hmm. want to be comfortable. Is that just like, like a fear? Is that just total cope on their part? Or where, where's that? Cause I mean, to, in my opinion, a, a nice shirt, that's a, you know, maybe a plain tee versus a graphic tee. What, what's the difference in comfort there? Probably nothing, right? Well, it depends on what comfort they're actually talking about because on the surface and really what they mostly think that they're saying is I want to wear clothing that is physically comfortable. And that's true. And the reality is, is like if a suit is made right, it can be just as physically comfortable as anything else. And a T-shirt and sweatpants that that don't fit right or that the material is wrong will be more uncomfortable than anything else. And so there's not any 
limit to how comfortable your clothing can be from a physical perspective. But what they're really saying is I want to be psychologically comfortable because I feel more like myself in my graphic t-shirt than I do in a solid Henley or I do in a simple button up shirt. And okay, because here's the thing that's really fascinating is it's safe to say, and I, I assume that you guys would also believe this. Most men believe that women care about clothing way more than men do. Would you guys say that that's kind of largely the paradigm yeah. that you would operate within, right? Sure. When it comes to using your clothing as a way to communicate with other people to fit in with other groups to be able to be seen within a hierarchy to attract other people and all of that i 100 percent agree that women care about clothing way more than than men do when it comes to reinforcing your identity and feeling at home in your own skin feeling like you're being authentic feeling like you're being the real version of who you are men care about clothing so much more than women do it is pulling teeth to get a guy to step a little bit outside of his comfort zone and try something new with clothing, not because he's afraid of what other people will think of him, but because he's afraid that he's abandoning his own identity and his own sense of self. Because mm -hmm. what he's always worn, what he's always worn is what's always reflected back to him who he is. And it feels almost like he's out of integrity or a version of self-betrayal by dressing in a different way. This is why men are so afraid of being posers or looking like posers or looking like we're tryhards, whereas women are just like, I'll, I'll, I'll embrace this and I'll totally go into it. And the problem is, is that what most stylists for men do, whether it's men or women, what most magazines, what most you know uh, influencer accounts will do is they won't take that into account and they will treat men like women and say, just embrace the trend because that's the trend and you'll get friends and you'll be popular and you'll make mm -hmm. more money or you know, whatever. But you have to help men understand that to really dial in your style doesn't compromise your sense of self. It actually expands your sense of self because right now you're operating in a very limited perspective. And so if you really just want to be comfortable, then improving your style will make you more comfortable than you currently are because it will give you a broader playground to play within as far as what that comfort and that sense of self actually looks and feels like. Mm. That's interesting. Um, I've always noticed uh, if you go to different groups of men uh, doing different jobs or in different places, they seem to all kind of have a little bit of a, their own uniform. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's that like if you go to like a construction site, they all are wearing kind of the same type of thing. Yep. And some of that might be job driven, but some of it, some of it's not. Some of it's just right. like it's just they're just wearing its style. They're wearing what their what their peers wear. And if you go somewhere else, it's different. Um, and these are guys who claim maybe they don't care about style or kind, but they they tend to 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 fit into the group that they're in. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't, what most guys do is that, again, that psychological comfort is they dress to avoid negative, negative attention. Because again, yeah. if you really didn't care how you'd look, then you wouldn't be dressing to avoid negative attention and you wouldn't be worried about fitting in. You wouldn't be worried about being comfortable. And so they may have people razz them and say, oh, I can't believe you're wearing that. And so they stop doing it. Or you may be, I don't know, maybe you just start working a construction job and you don't know what boots to wear. And so you just show up in something that doesn't work. And all the guys will kind of tease you a little bit and say, you actually need to be wearing these. And then you do it and you just kind of embrace that as being part of the culture. I mean, you can go back and you look at like the history of cowboy hats and the way that the crowns were pinched was specific to almost every single ranch that you were on. Like it was very much like an in-tribe kind of signaling thing that I belong to this group, I don't belong to that group. And it's just guys are trying to stay neutral. They don't want to dress so poorly that they draw negative attention to themselves. And a lot of guys also don't want to dress well to the point where they draw any positive attention to themselves. They just want to fit in, 
go with the flow and be neutral is where a lot of these guys end up. And would your advice be to them to, to not try to just fit in, to try to, to try to step out a little bit to, or what, what would your advice be in if for someone like that? It depends on the guy, because if you have limiting beliefs about who you are and what you bring to the table, and that's why you're trying to fit in, then we work through that. And we use your clothing as a way to help you understand that you're bigger and better than that. And so if it's fear-based, then we, we want to work away from that. If it's a, if it's based in contentment or something else, then what we do is say, awesome, you've learned how to fit in, in this one specific context at work, but how do we do it at gym? How do we do it on date night? How do we do it with, at the kid's soccer game? How do we do it in all these other contexts so that you could feel just as comfortable in all those other environments as well? So it's very specific depending on the client. All right. I've got, I've got a question. So Patrick and I we often bring, bring these proverbs back to our families and, and raising our kids. Um, and that's something I don't think I've ever really heard style people talk about, but you're a dad. Um, how do you teach or, you know, demonstrate um, this, this uh, you know, approach to, to style and, and the message you send? How do you teach that to kids? And what do you recommend to parents? So I have six kids. I have uh, my oldest is about to turn 11 and my youngest is six months old. And so we have a lot of, a lot of young kids and we're kind of in the thick of it right now. And we try to teach both from example and then also from uh, actually like interjection into how they're doing things. And so my wife and I both very much value um, beauty like we talked about and we value it in the way that we dress. We value it in the way that our home is designed. We value it in the way that um, like what we do in the backyard and all of these other things. And we try to help our kids understand and recognize beauty. We'll go up, like I said, I'm in Utah, beautiful mountains. We'll go up for a drive in the mountains whenever there's changes in the seasons. And so the kids get to see beauty and recognize it and then help them understand that that happens um, on them and in them as well. And so when they're little, um, we go out of our way to, to buy them clothes that look good and help reinforce that they feel good when they look good and all of that. My two oldest are at an interesting point. So my almost 11-year-old and my nine-year-old are to the point where they're starting to understand that there's an element of self-expression that comes mm -hmm. in with their clothing. And so what we're doing now is giving them a whole lot of wiggle room to be able to play around with that. And so my son is wearing graphic Zelda t-shirts and he's got long hair and sometimes gets confused for being a girl. And we will talk through that, but I'm not going to make those choices for him because I want him to feel that sense of like self-expression that comes with it. And there are plenty of times that he will come back and ask me, how do I do this better? Or our oldest is that same way with her mom. And so our, our current approach right now is set the stage for them really early on, help them value it, help them see it, help them recognize how good it feels to be in clothing that fits well. It looks good. The quality is good as they get older let them turn it on its head and wear stuff that I don't like, because as long as it's not like immodest or immoral, then the only reason that I have a problem with the way that they dress is because it's more about me and how I feel than it is about them and how they feel. So I'm projecting my emotional immaturity onto them by enforcing that they dress a certain way just because I don't like graphic t-shirts. Right. And so I have mm. to be the, the adult in the relationship and say, I don't like them, but he gets to express himself that way. Or I don't think those colors match, but I will tell her that they don't work and she gets to make that decision from there and deal with the consequences. And then as they get older, it becomes more of a 
partnering with them and treating them almost like clients and like, I'm going to teach you how to do this. And we're going to think about what the ramifications of this are. And so that's the approach that we take to it as parents. That's funny. Cause I've, uh, you, you know, in, in the men's style sphere, the graphic tees are kind of like the general no, no. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, or at least, you know, you can break rules sometimes, but obviously that's kind of the general, the general. And uh, I found myself like steering my boys away from them, you know, after I've heard these things like, no, no, don't worry. Yeah. That's Zelda t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Just, and like, I hey, do, just let them go with it. I do too. When we buy them stuff, but like, if he's really invested in this, it's like, of course. And then ironically, like, Man, the rules always change. I just did a I just did a, a reel on Instagram last week talking about how I'm embracing experimenting with graphic tees in my own wardrobe again now, right? And yeah, so there's all that. the cycles to it and everything. And but it's more important for us. And again, like immodesty, immorality aside, like we have parameters still that they have to operate within. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's way more important that they learn this skill set themselves and make all the mistakes that they need to along the way, then it is important that other adults see that I'm the dad with the good looking kids. Cause again, the way that they dress isn't about me. It's about them. Right. I like that. Well, cool. Um, thanks so much Tanner for everything. And, and, uh, I think we're, we're coming up on the time we were, we had thought of about, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, any, any last, uh, comments, Andrew, before we, before we kick it off or, or, um, no, just, just thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking to us about this, um, give me a lot to think about, uh, where can we learn more about what you do? Where can people find you? Yeah. So, if you're active on social media, um, I am most consistently using uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and all of those are just at Tanner Guzzi. It's T-A-N-N-E-R-G-U-Z-Y. And so pick your poison, whatever your your preferred method of communication is on there. And then if you want to take the archetype quiz, you want to do more about kind of the main stuff, you can go to masculine-style.com. And the last thing is the book, The Appearance of Power. And uh, you can look that up. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, if you're more of an audiobook guy, you can find it on Audible. A lot of different resources available for you there to go check that out too. All right. Well, thanks again, man. Really appreciate this. I think this was a super interesting conversation and uh, uh, really uh, enjoyed having you on. Well, I'm very flattered that I got to be your first guest. So thanks for letting me come hang out with you guys. <laughs> you bet. Anytime. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye. There are only four things certain since social progress began that the dog returns to his vomit and the sow returns to her mother. And the burnt fool's bandaged finger goes wobbling back to the fire. And that after this is accomplished, and the brave new world begins, when all men are paid for existing, and no man must pay for his sin, as surely as water will wet us, as surely as fire will burn, the gods of the copybook idiots, with terror and slaughter, 